When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm KP from Black Belt Eagle Scout, and this is the LSQ Podcast. Hi, I'm Jenny LSQ. Welcome to episode 87 of the LSQ Podcast with KP from Black Belt Eagle Scout. I've been loving the new Black Belt Eagle Scout album, The Land, The Water, The Sky, which was heavily inspired by KP's move in more recent years back to her homelands in the Swinomish Indian tribal community in Laconner, Washington, as you'll hear her discuss. You'll also hear that KP has one of the best laughs you've ever heard. Black Belt Eagle Scout are on tour in North America in the coming weeks, just starting later this week, in fact. You can get info and tickets at blackbelteaglescout.com. Welcome to the LSQ podcast. It's KP from Black Belt Eagle Scout. Hi. Hello. So good to meet you. I've been listening to your record and feeling a lot of emotions. Uh, your latest record, I should say. The Land, the Water, the Sky. So beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> it o- was only recently released, so we're slightly, you know, after the album came out. But how have you been feeling since it, it entered the world? I know that can be a big moment of waiting and then it finally comes. Yeah, I mean... It's been a big whirlwind, honestly, because this year I'm going on tour and we're putting the album into a live performance. That's been really fun. There's just a lot going on. And with the album out into the world, you know, I'm excited to be able to play the songs and to have people like know the songs that come to the show rather than you know, because it it has been done for about a year. I've been sort of playing them, but nobody's heard them yet. They're like, what is this? And so now they have like a reference. They're like, okay, I know this. When did this group of songs begin to like germinate? Yeah, you know, it was right after I got back from tour in 2019. I had just started playing the guitar. She Shards Magazine was doing their like one riff a day, I think in January of like 2020. And so I was doing that because I was just home and I was getting ready to go out on the road. Wait, sorry to interrupt, but is what's what 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 was that She Shreds is one okay. riff a day? <laughs> Props to She Shreds, by the way. I said it as if you just know. Um, So they have like a challenge for a guitarist to create a riff on guitar or on bass, one riff every day for a month long. Doesn't matter what it is, um, just to get you all out to play. And so I was doing that. And I think after that I was doing, I went to a songwriting residency um, with a bunch of incredible musicians who I, you know, adore. And we were in Whidbey Island and that was like mid-February 2020 and then came home and then the pandemic happened. And then I sort of was playing guitar a little bit throughout the pandemic and throughout like the lockdown situation, but like not anything like 
this is going to be a record. And honestly, like the record was just going to be an EP until shortly before the recording started. And then me and the producer I was working with, Takia Reed from Divide and Dissolve, we just sort of had this epiphany, like this needs to be a full length record. It can't just be an EP. And so I, I had to like go back and like think, well, do I have stuff? And I was remembering she shreds run one riff a day. I was remembering the time I spent at the songwriting residency. I was remembering that time I spent just, you know, playing a riff here and there, like during the lockdown. And then I was like, you know what? I do have songs. They're not, they weren't meant to be songs for a record, but there are things that I was crafting during this time. And, and it was also during this time where I was getting ready to transition into moving back home. I didn't know that at the, at the time, but it was sort of building up to this, you know, transitional journey into coming back to my homelands, um, which is like a, a big anchor in the songwriting uh, of the record is having that connection and that transition into living amongst, you know, my people, amongst the land, amongst the water, the sky, et cetera, in this area of the world. And this is your third full-length album. I'm curious if with albums in general and with this one in particular, do you do you think any concrete thoughts about like, I want it to be different this way. I want to explore this or I want to lean more into sonically, you know, a, a different kind of aspect of, of your sound. Or do you just kind of go in and let the songs come and then afterwards sort of look at like, what was I doing there? And how, how was that different from the way I did it before? I think within my songwriting and in terms of the recording process, there's a foundational phase of me just sitting with my guitar and, you know, whatever comes out of my playing, of my singing, that's what I'll go with. And then there's a reflection period as well, because since I'm the songwriter of the band, I will write the song and write the parts and have those like reflection moments of, you know, here's how it sounds right now. What should I add? Um, here's what we have. Should there be other things and kind of, you know, work in, in that, I guess, kind of producer role as well of figuring out like, well, what needs to be here um, to make this song feel right to me and give that good feeling of like, it's finished. <laughs> How does your process now, and that's this process you're describing, compare to when you when you very first started making your own songs? Mm -hmm. And and has it? I'm intrigued about the the riff a day thing also, just because the idea of having the riff be this foundation for you. You know, obviously yeah. you're a guitarist, and but you know it's the the it's sort of like the riff. You know, it's like it is a <laughs> mighty thing. Um, and so yeah, if we let's go back in time, and if you can tell me a little bit about kind of your how you first came to bond with riffs. Yeah, I remember writing something on the guitar and just totally being unsure about it and not having a connection to it at all. And I feel like I really had to sort of learn and, and lean into the sounds that come out of the guitar and and sort of how I can utilize those in, in this feeling that comes out. For a while, I was using guitar as like a therapeutic method. And so processing emotions through the sounds that come out of a guitar, um, through the singing, and whatnot and some of those things you know became songs but then i started just using it as a way of expression and kind of 
I feel like it also depends on the guitar too. And it depends, it depends on how the guitar sounds to me and how the sound of the guitar and that connection can be, you know, I, I wrote my first album on a silver tone guitar. And I remember going into a little shop on Mississippi Ave in Portland, Oregon and, and seeing this guitar and plugging it in and feeling, and just like having a connection to it and, and realizing this is a beautiful sounding guitar. And then I moved on to a different guitar. I play an Ernie Ball Music Man, St. Vincent. And that guitar has all these really warm tones and I'm just sort of drawn to this warmth. And so I think the warmth is what kind of leads me on into, into creating and writing songs that, yeah, I, I need that warmth. I also need to find the right guitar because <laughs> probably when I, yeah, when I was younger, when it sounded unnatural to me, you know, I didn't have a connection to that guitar, I don't think. Um, yeah, and you didn't know what the, you didn't know what else it might sound like yet. You, right. had, you didn't have the broader context for it. Right. And what, what was the, what were the first things in, in life that made you feel that kind of creative spark that, that you now know so well is, is the thing? Oh my gosh, piano. Like, I love piano. I, um, just felt so connected to p the piano. And I, I wish I still wrote on the piano. I, I sort of have kind of shifted in, in my writing. Um, I need to find a, a good piano. <laughs> Tell me a little more about just the setting there. Where, how old were you and where would you, how did you learn to play the piano even? And, and how did that relationship evolve? I love your questions. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, I will totally tell you. <laughs> So the piano that I learned on is still in my parents' house on the res, and it's primarily because it's so heavy that it's like we can't get it out of there. <laughs> yeah, what 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 is what does it look like? It's a really big upright Ludwig piano. It's super heavy. It's definitely out of tune right now. But when I was growing up, it was like the coolest thing. We had gotten it for like I don't know two hundred dollars from our friend Padma she lived in this like kind of home in the remote part of our reservation and we brought it in wheeled it into our little little house on the res and like I just loved it because I remember being so drawn to the sounds of classical music like classical music really spoke to me for some reason I think it's just because it has these kind of emotional types of sounds and like the way that the piano is it sounds very like fluid and like has some reverb and stuff and it just was really drawn to it and so i really wanted to learn fur elise by beethoven but i didn't know how to read music and so my parents found me a piano instructor judy flores who taught me how to play by ear and so i learned wow what a cool skill <laughs> i learned how to play the piano by ear um, and that's how I learned how to play for Elise is I, I was sort of could read music, but mainly like, like heard it. And I, I think that's probably like what, what, what kind of directs how I play guitar is I kind of, I have to hear it. Like, I don't really read music on guitar. I can, I can make things out by, by hearing. And I think, yeah, that is the reason why that it has to sound i have to have a, a warm sound in order to have a connection now these days yeah and that upright piano too my mom has one in her house and 
Uh, I don't, I may sound like a novice saying this, probably a, a baby grand or grand has a lot of warmth too, but there's something about that rect, big rectangle, I feel yeah. like that, that augments it. And, and how quickly did that kind of shift into you having ideas for, for melodies or for, for little piano riffs and that kind of thing that you would, you know, then explore? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was in like eighth grade or ninth grade when I started realizing that I could write songs. I started writing songs with piano and with the guitar and I had, we had, my family had just gotten like a, a computer, like a, a desktop, desktop computer. And it seems funny saying it now because everyone has computers pretty much, but like families didn't really have computers when I was growing up. And I used this like free recording software called Audacity and just, you know, would record just out of the computer mic and kind of tried to experiment and make like different types of things. And if I heard some of that stuff now, the earliest things that you were writing, what, it, it, do you think that it's recognizable as, as the, uh, the beginning of what is yeah. your sound? Yeah. I think what, so. what are yeah. some of the elements that feel like they've always been there? I think it's like some of the melodic vocal stuff that I do in my like current music with like the oohs and the ahs and the who's like that sort of stuff I think is shown within within that and you know I think also that definitely comes from like the sort of cultural music that I that I have in my life with my identity and my heritage being from a Coast Salish tribe but also like being from an Eastern tribe too on the Colville side and having powwows. Um, so that sort of, it just is a natural way of, of like singing and expressing is like just through like the kind of like melody, vocal melodies. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I love sound. Like sound is something that is very special to me. And I think that recognizing that I love sound from this cultural aspect of who I am. I think I took that and I, you know, used it to create my own sound and to create sounds that makes me feel good. And that, you know, I utilize to make songs and record records and play shows and go on tour now. Cause it's, you know, a way of life that you can do. <laughs> yeah. But already when you were a kid, I know in high school, you got involved with the, with the rock camp for girls. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you, you must've had a kind of a seriousness about it already, even as a kid, where you're like, what are the things I can do to get even better at this or get even more into it? Yeah. I mean, I also thought it's, it was fun, like going to rock camp and like, like the aspect of being in a band just seemed fun and like liberating even, you know, moving out of my homelands, going on tour, et cetera, all that stuff seemed liberating to me. And so that was another element of, of growing into music and learning and kind of pushing me to like learn different things. And I mean, I, I feel like I really credit the rock camp for giving me certain skills. Like I remember when I first went, I signed up to play guitar and there are too many guitarists. And so my second choice instrument was the drums. And I don't think that I would have like had as much passion as, as a musician for drums had I not done drums at rock camp. 
because um, I learned from really cool, amazing people how to play certain fills and how to put together a song as a drummer. And I think that moment um, and that week at the camp really opened my eyes and being like, you know, I could be a drummer. I think I want to be a drummer. <laughs> I want to be I want to be a drummer in a band again. Like that's it's so fun to do that. And I. I was a drummer like that was just and I still am but like I played drums and bands I was you know had had a couple bands a couple of them where like I was doing songwriting as drummer and singing and one of them we we went on tour and I just was a touring drummer and all you know it was it was really fun to be a drummer. We're looking back again at that time when you're when you're first starting to write songs and starting to really you know, get into that. What was the music that you were hearing and and starting to love that that maybe set a path for where you could see yourself going with your own music? Yeah. So the Portland music scene back then was really cool. There was just a lot of people doing kind of like, you know, basic rock formations, but like creating like psychedelic, punk, emo, uh, post-rock just the any any sort of music and it was a music scene that was really supportive of local musicians and really supportive of the local scene of you know people wanting to come together doing um house shows house shows were a big thing for a while and that was like a really big part of my like coming into musician time is the house show scene in portland who were some of the specific artists that really felt like impressive to you at that age? One of the bands that I really loved, I mean, one of the musicians, I guess, that I like really loved and still do um, played in, her name's Lisa Schoenberg, um, played in this band called Kickball that I um, opened for as my very first show at the Department of Safety in Anacortes. And then like would continue to see Kickball because they were incredible. And then saw Lisa play in this other band called Explode Into Colors in Portland that were really, really amazing. And then continued to like see Lisa play in like other projects like Secret Drum Group and then, you know, teach with her at Rock Camp and do all these cool things. So like when I think about that, I think about like also just like supporting women and queer people in music during during that time and like being like a queer musician myself, like feeling supported alongside other people in the Portland music scene, just to be who we are and, and do what we do. So that was something that I remember back then. It wasn't very long ago. <laughs> what do you think was most valuable for you as an artist yourself about teaching other people when, when, you, when, when you switched into the role of teaching at the camp? What was the most valuable? Yeah, or just sort of what do you remember as being a like kind of the learning curve you had to, you know, what did you learn about teaching mm -hmm. people music once you were on the other side of that relationship? I learned to go with the flow a lot and to try and meet folks' um, speed, I guess, in learning and not to push. I think that that was something that like I through through rock camp is like, let's focus on our creativity rather than just like the nuts and bolts of how to write a song. Like let's make expression something that is priority. And so whether or not that's like somebody learning how to play a beat 
like the goal would be more so that you know they feel good about what they're doing rather than they actually like play the beat perfectly <laughs> and that you know connection i think coming into like how they feel about being a musician a musician that's always been something that's important to me as well is like in my own songwriting like feeling good about what i'm doing and if i'm not feeling good then just not doing it and it also ties into like these teachings from my own community and my culture is like doing something from a good place and trying to not do something forced or that's from a bad place because there would you know you don't want that type of energy within something that you're creating how did you begin to switch from playing drums in a bunch of bands to to you know to doing your own project and to being at the front of it yeah, I mean, I had sort of always played guitar, so I wanted to play guitar in a band and me and my friend Maya Stoner, we played in a band where I played the drums and she played guitar and then that band broke up and then we still wanted to be in a band together and so we started doing songwriting together on guitar and we started this post-rock band and that's sort of the shift in I guess the guitar being a guitarist in a band and being a songwriter in a band was through my friend and like our connection that we made writing songs together. What was that project called? Forest Park. <laughs> cool. I love post-rock as one of my favorite genres. I mean, I, I hugely into that stuff, like in the 90s, you know, mid 90s were so much great coming out of the Midwest, especially like post-rock. But I feel like it's one of the most um, maligned, like people are like, that's not a thing, post-rock. <laughs> it's like, no, it's awesome. Yeah. It really, it really is a thing. It's just like, I mean, I wish I wish that there was a kind of a post-rock resurgence. It feels like it's been away yeah. for a while, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the thing that I love most about it is that you didn't have to fall into like the verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus formation. You could just have a part and then another part and then another part. And that was like the fun thing about it for me with songwriting where it felt creative. It felt like, oh, and then we'll do this. Oh, oh, and then we'll do this and that'll be cool. And then we'll have to have this like guitar line that like when we were playing post-rock music, we are our like top bands that we were into. One was one was Do Make Say Think and the other one was I can't think of it off the top of my head because I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> Um, oh, you're... explosions in the sky. Oh, explosions but, in the sky. Like, the popular one, you know, but like still like loved the songwriting. Like I feel like the post-rock element, like I definitely like identified with the songwriting because of the beauty of the melodies and like the beauty of like the intensity. And I feel like you can still sort of hear that a little bit of those in influences within my songwriting even though it's like indie rock <laughs> i'd love to talk some more about your about your singing though because it is definitely one of the things that i i love most about your music and you have these different voices kind of that you sing in and it feels very effortless the shifts between the sort of intonations that that you can do and that you tend to do on this album, it's even more natural. It's even more fluid, like the, your voice kind of sliding in and out of these subtle but different zones that you that you go into. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I just tend to sort of sing in in one in one particular range. Like I sing with like my head voice a lot, 
but then like I will go down really, really low and then I'll also sing like kind of mid range too. But it was funny that you bring this up because sometimes I think about like the first like song on the record and I'm like, I'm singing like this a lot of the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder if people, I don't but know. Then when you get, then when the, when, but then when the deep, more talking, you know, post-rocky kind of talking, moments happen you know if there's like a kim gordon-ness to it almost sort of that register yeah i think that like singing was definitely like there's a foundational part of the singing and the vocals that were already there during the songwriting process of the just like guitar and the voice but then in that like reflection period i was talking about like hearing everything putting it all together there are other moments where i'm like oh this could be like this I'm waving my hand for the listeners. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> Obviously, you just had an album come out, and so we're still in the celebration of that uh, phase. But I, I am curious, like when you think about, you know, the next album or sort of the short-term, long-term future or something like that for, yeah. for Black Belt Eagle Scout, but also for you, KP, as a creative person. Like, are there other things you're you're looking forward to getting into? Uh, musically or other kind of creative endeavors that you hope to explore in, in the years ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think that with this album, it made me feel better about being vulnerable and open to working with people and to collaborating. So I love all different types of music. And I've always really wanted to write a folk album where it's just me and like an acoustic guitar, primarily because I'm just like, I just want to play by myself sometimes. <laughs> and yeah. it's like a weird, it's like a weird, it's a weird desire because it's more like schedule and logistic based rather than like, this could be cool songwriting wise. But, but like, I think about like touring and I think about like scheduling and I'm like, it'd be easier. It's just me. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'll just oh my God. Definitely. <laughs> definitely simplifies things. And I'm sure you probably pretty often for like sessions kind of things get asked to do uh, that sort of like incarnation of of the thing yeah. but also yeah. i would love to hear the kp folk album <laughs> here for it oh awesome <laughs> um i just i feel like i feel like i just want to be like bubby saint marie and just like write a ton of different albums and just try and expand and like i think about her like discography and all the things that she's done and like being like an indigenous like musician role model like seeing all the things i'm just like i've got a long road <laughs> ahead of me <laughs> so many different albums <laughs> well thank you so much for connecting with me to talk kp it's awesome to meet you thank you so much for having me thanks again to kp it was great getting to know her a bit better black belt eagle scouts tour dates and info are at blackbeltegalescout.com and other episodes of LSQ are at JennyLSQ.com, and I'm at JennyLSQ on social platforms. 
I'm excited for the next episode, episode 88, with Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast. The paperback edition of her best-selling memoir, Crying in H Mart, is out this week. And thanks so much for listening. Hit me up anytime. Again, I'm at Jenny LSQ. I'll talk to you next time.